Well, we're still here. So get ready for the last, but definitely not least, we're rolling now of our three-part conversation with Brad Reynolds on the nature of reality and the work of Ken Wilbur. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. So we've covered four of the major phases of Ken Wilber's work, but there was still one further phase, sometimes called the phase five. And Brad, could you tell us what, how Ken's thought and work and writings and contributions changed then? Well, the so-called phase five is when the new millennium dawned and Ken opened up the Integral Institute. And basically, he went from being 30 years of a solitary writer not attending public seminars and such, which annoyed a lot of people in the transpersonal psychology movement. He totally did an entire about face. He got some funding from patrons and created the Integral Institute and opened his doors and asked all the people that were reading his books, which at that time were a younger generation, and they all came to Denver, Colorado. He had been living in Boulder through most of the 1990s, and he started giving public seminars and speaking to the public, trying to make Integral and Aquil a worldwide movement. That's kind of when I started to back away because I wasn't going to move to Denver. You know, I sent emissaries like Terry Patton and friends that I knew, and he developed, you know, the Integral Life Practices. That was a book that him and Terry Patton and some other folks developed and started to, you know, try and enter the university systems. Places like the United Nations started to use the Aqua model. He was interested. Some people like Jamie Wheel went out into the corporate world and tried to take the Aqua model into the corporate because people like, you know, the guy that runs Whole Foods, John Mackey, I believe is his name, all had been reading Wilbur. In fact, people like Bill Clinton and Al Gore had also read Ken Wilbur and mentioned his names there in the late 1990s. So Ken was trying to, you know, establish the Integral Institute as a public arms to helping to transform the world. And it was initially successful. But they found out, as Jamie Will kind of so expertly explains in some of his YouTube talks, the business world just wasn't quite ready to take on all that interior development because they still have quarterly reports due. And money is mostly an exterior realm. It's, you know, the lower right quadrant. So he was only able to get so far with that type of thing. But his reach really was extensive. And a lot of young people who now run the Integral Life website, which I highly recommend to everybody, run by Corey DeVos, 
and you know such people as jeff salzman with his integral politics which he does an excellent analysis of contemporary events based upon the developmental scheme that ken had laid out you know so there's a lot of different enterprises and a lot of times now when people speak of integral they're actually pointing to phase five and this is also when ken began his integral post-metaphysical critique and he kind of started deconstructing the perennial philosophy with more intensity and these were the kind of things that i didn't fully agree with with ken and as i said i was working with him almost daily through the 90s and his attention got drawn to other areas so i started to back away from that and just look on from further outside vantage point but i always kept a great pulse on it and so i think part of my work is is to always keep reminding people of the great depth of those first 30 years of ken's work because that was the foundation that inspired all of us john and roger and a lot of other people as we move forward into the future because also what happened 2006 ken's health issues really started to multiply he had contacted a disease possibly from a toxic spill in tahoe in the late 80s that was dehabilitating and so his public work had to also step back to deal with his health issues and this is part of the reason in the last 20 years he has not written as many books and to some degree he was you know standing on the great work that he had done initially so the phase five is kind of integral application in which he tried to apply and he had other people apply the aqua developmental scheme to the various fields of science technology education politics business and that type of things so once again it's an incredible web that he has created and that other people are carrying forward into the future and there have been as you say there was a, a library he created before this, but there were some still some significant books, and you speak very highly, for example, of integral psychology. Could you oh, yes. give us the uh, distillation of that? Well, integral psychology was the book that came out in the year 2000, and it was kind of really a recapitulation of all his previous phases up to that point. And personally, it's my favorite book because it is such a great summary and yet it's you know what only 200 and some pages in fact i had the great pleasure of watching him write that <laughs> because ken you know ken his genius is so incredible that he can write nearly flawlessly a, a chapter that basically gets published the way he first writes it and if you guys, I know Roger's a writer. I don't, do you write, John? I mean, the impossibility of being able to use your first draft as the published format alone sets uh, Ken Wilbur apart from everybody else. So when he was writing Integral Psychology, he would send me a new chapter every day. <laughs> and I just would go, 
my gosh, I might make a couple comments and he might add a few things here and there. But I mean, a new chapter every day. Kind of nauseating. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, it's like, do you really have to cram this into my face and show me <laughs> how far behind I am? But it was brilliant. You know, integral psychology. One of my favorite books, too. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. It's so clean. And I mean, you know, a chapter a day. So it, it doesn't get bogged down in details. And the other great thing about integral psychology is the collection of charts in the back of the book, which reviews over 100 different developmental theorists. And so if you want to get a picture of how Ken was able to integrate hundreds of thinkers, both traditional religious traditions and psychology systems and Gebser and Aurobindo, look at the back chapters of Integral Psychology and you will get a summary of Ken's work, which by the way, I think I included in the rear of Embracing Reality as well. And so that was kind of where Ken, you know, summarized everything up and it gave him then the freedom to do things like the Boomeritis novel. He always warned us that he could write the worst novel ever. <laughs> and of course he was joking, but I think he actually fulfilled that <laughs> and wrote Boomeritis and, and, you know, and that attracted a lot of the young people because he was critiquing the, the boomer generation. So the millennials really got off on that. <laughs> well, Brad, tell us, tell us a little bit about the, the precise nature of the critique because it was a very curious novel. It was deliberately ironic, deliberately po postmodern. I mean, all the, all the features you associate with postmodernism, including some of the worst he deliberately incorporated. So the, there's the medium and the message, but there was some, there was some very interesting messages in that curious medium. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about. Well, messages. yeah. And I will say is my least favorite Wilbur book. So I, you know, wasn't that blown away by it, though. I laughed at a lot of the things he was saying because boy, the, the, the gall and courage for him to come out. So what he was basically doing was critiquing the so-called boomer generation, which would have been mine and Ken's generation, is that we tended to be narcissistic, even in our use of spirituality. You know, the old Dharma bum critique, whereas you basically use spiritual concepts that, hey, everything's God, so that means you can do whatever you want. So that he was really critiquing what he calls the green postmodernist and their tendency to use spiritual ideas and concepts to really inflate their ego, not transcend their ego. So he tended to, you know, make fun of that. And he did it in terms of he had characters in there. And of course, he was the voice of all the different characters. And I think Ken's voice was actually one of the professors. He was one of the students, actually, I think, in the, this one. His name was. Oh, okay. His voice. I see what you mean, yeah. But his actual voice of what he wanted to get the message across came through the lady professor and all that. But he took on everything from Tantra sex to everything else under the sun, which allowed his humor to come out. Because... You know, Roger, Ken is really a very funny guy when you hang out with him and his humor is dry and yet pointed. And yet, of course, that doesn't tend to come through in his books because those are intellectual exercises and whatnot. 
happened in boomeritis, he was on full display, which is why it was so offensive to a lot of people, maybe even me. And yet at the same time, it allowed him a venue to be able to critique the self-centered spirituality and new age sentiments of the boomer generation. And like I say, I think the millennials, they understood the hypocrisies of their parents and everything. And so I think it was very attractive to the younger generation, let alone it had to be one of the worst covers (laughs) with that big smiley face on it, I think, ever published. (laughs) And in addition to the critique of, you know, the supposed narcissism of the boomer generation. And unfortunately, that it seems like the research indicates subsequent generations score even higher on narcissistic scale. So uh, maybe we can blame social media for that. But there was also, it seemed to me, maybe the central critique was even more of postmodernism and the failings and or flaw, inherent flaws of postmodernism and the uh, idiosyncrasies, contradictions when the ideas were taken to their logical extreme, etc. So personally, I found it quite educational in that because, you know, I'm not, I certainly haven't been a a deep student of postmodernism. I know it's been a very important intellectual movement and seems somewhat paradoxical, but to have a book which really laid out and skewered some of these postmodern fallacies, for me, was very helpful. Well, you bring up a very important fact, Roger. One of the things that happened with Ken's works, as he, especially in the 90s, as he was putting out a book every year, is a lot of time the new book was addressing what his critics had brought up about his previous books, right? And so in Integral, I mean, in Sex, Ecology, and Spirituality, where he outlines the entire evolutionary arc of the universe, and he comes up with this meta theory, and people are comparing him to Hegel and everything, the postmodernists really drove into him and said, you know, hey, postmodernism has shown that meta theories are just self-centered solipsism and that you know you're succumbing to what hegel succumbed to and we've gone beyond postmodern meredes because basically what you're giving us is a white guy's version of european philosophy and all that type of thing in other words they pointed out that ken had not adequately addressed the postmodern critique of modernity and of overarching meta theories and so especially beginning with The Marriage of Science and Spirituality, which came out, I think, in 1999, Ken started to address what the postmodern critique was about. And in Ken's way of claiming everybody is true but partial, he acknowledged that the postmodern critique had a lot of validity to that. And one of the main ideas of postmodernism is that Every worldview, whatever worldview you have, is conditioned by your cultural conditioning and the culture and the time and space in which you grew up into. And that's how they are able to deconstruct any worldview that's ever put out there, especially a worldview that claims to be including all worldviews, right? Postmodernists say, no, that's just your particular point of view and da 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 Whereas Ken was trying to, with his entire work, was trying to emphasize the universal character of human development. And it was a cross-cultural phenomena, 
which studies tend to verify. So Ken had to use boomeritis in the marriage of sense and soul to address these postmodern critiques, which I feel he did very deftly. But in a certain sense, he did it tongue-in-cheek as well, because as he pointed out, they do a performative contradiction. In other words, postmodernism says you can't have an overarching worldview, and yet my worldview saying you can't have an overarching worldview is itself an overarching worldview. So the postmodernists could contradict themselves in the process, which is why I feel that ultimately a spiritual worldview, a transpersonal worldview that includes all the different worldviews, including modernity, mythic thinking, and the postmodern critique is actually the most fullest worldview that embraces all of reality, right? Beautiful. And you mentioned the the book, which we, we hadn't mentioned before, which was The Marriage of Sense and Soul, which, as you said, partly addressed postmodernism, but also, of course, as with everything Ken does, <laughs> covered a lot more. Could you give us a little summary or distillation of key points from that? Well, that was the one book that he actually took outside of Shambhala. He went to New York and met with different publishers that wanted to publish him, and Random House ended up winning the bid. And the book was originally called Integrating Science and Religion. And of course, Random House goes, (laughs) that's not going to work. So they used an Oscar Wilde quote that he had quoted at the on the frontispiece talking about the integration of sense and soul. So sense being obviously science and soul being religion, right? And so he gave a very systematic, systematic outline of how, if you're going to be integral, how do you integrate a value-free science? with a value-laden religion, right? And so he gave some ideas about how you can use the dignities or the positive good news of each of those major worldviews and combine the positive good news while throwing away the negative disasters or bad news, which in the case of religion would be mythic thinking and closed minds, right? That only my worldview is right, only my religion is right, and jettisoning those type of disastrous developments. And in the case of science, jettisoning the scientific materialism worldview. And so that's what the marriage of sense and soul attempted to do. And that was the book that actually Al Gore and Bill Clinton read. For one, it was done by Random House, so it had much wider distribution. And it addressed the the topics that most modern people, postmodern people, are very concerned with, is how do we mitigate this clash of civilizations? Because that's what we're in the middle of. We are in the middle of a battle of worldviews, a war of worldviews, where science and religion, which has had now a backlash against the dominance of science in the 20th century. Religious fundamentalists are saying, no, you guys don't have a value system. You you basically say everything goes. 
whereas we actually have a way of making proper judgments. And as we all know, a lot of times religions are not capable of making humanitarian adjustments because they they tend to be exclusive. And so Ken was saying we need to use the best of both of those worlds and integrate them in a way that is tolerant of all the different worldviews. And yet, by continuing the further development of your human capacities, develop a ethics and a morality that is able to make appropriate judgments about what is good for the human race and what is good for your own individual development. And, and partially, uh, I, I think it's applying the scientific method to interiors. Again, we go from the flatland, but when you start taking that scientific attitude, discover the truth, you run into interiors and you run into values and you run into all the things that the religion have been talking about to a large extent. And that's what psychology does, right? Psychology uses the scientific method to develop the interiors, which is one of the great gifts of the 20th century. And that's an important work. And of course, as people realize that a lot of pathologies are permeate our culture, it's access to proper psychological healing that becomes one of the great therapeutic methods for helping to heal a fractured culture and worldview, right? And there have been so many attempts to, quote, marry sense and soul, i.e. point to a possible reconciliation between the worldviews of science and religion. But Ken was able to do it at a level of sophistication far beyond what had come before because he had this his integral framework within which to draw appropriate distinctions between different levels, different epistemologies, different states of consciousness, etc., and point to the way in which they these two great realms could be complementary in some ways, as long as we recognize the pathologies and limitations of each. Excellent point. Ben, let me just add to that, Roger, because sometimes it sounds like Ken created this model just based upon intellectual considerations, you know, that, oh, I figured this out and I figured that out. But as we know, from knowing Ken personally, we know that his model also reflects his own spiritual development. And it's based upon the reality of transpersonal awareness. In other words, it's based upon practice, which kind of circles us back to how we opened our conversation, the importance of getting personally involved in developing your own consciousness. Because that's the only way you're really going to be able to integrate all of these various things. You can't just do it with the mind. It has to ultimately be done with the heart. And that takes real spiritual living. You know, you really do have to learn how to meditate in order to open up the greater capacities that each of us have inside of us. And Ken was a, a pioneer in encouraging us to do that. But transpersonal psychology, too. I mean, Esalen and the entire humanistic potential movement that was the better part of the boomer generation, not the narcissistic one, but the actual cutting edge, is part of what we have to continue to embed into our, our current social situation. That's why, you know, having political leaders for example, Marianne Williamson, who knows Ken Wilber, by the way, 
She's a presidential candidate, and she is speaking from integral consciousness in which she is trying to be tolerant of all the different worldviews, but also give us a higher vision of how we can live together more peacefully and more truthfully as a collective reality. So to a large degree, that's what we have to start to see. We need to see integral thinkers start to permeate our institutions to help become beacons and establish a more integral society for a global reconciliation. Interesting you mentioned Marion Williamson because she is a very rare example of someone who is integrally informed and has a contemplative practice and yet is very extremely well informed about political affairs and thinks very deeply about them, but from a, a profound value perspective of the of the reduction of human suffering and its fullness. And that's so, so, so rare. And yet, as you point out, we really are going to need, if not the philosopher kings of Plato and the, the sage king of Confucius, then at least we need a little wisdom and, and post-conventional maturation in our leaders. So, Yeah, that's right. Because otherwise, what will tend to happen is there will tend to be a regression and I think, you know, most of the people listening to this type of podcast will realize that what has happened in the last four, six, eight years in the political atmosphere of the United States is there has been a regression backwards because people do not understand the great potential that we actually, our future could hold for us. And so people tend to retreat to things that are they are more safe with, which is why there's been a rise of nationalism, while racism has come to the foreground. And in a certain sense, it seems to be history is calling us to address these dark pathologies that had not been properly addressed, because it takes the collective as a whole. We can have great leaders like John Kennedy or Martin Luther King or Gandhi, but and the philosopher King, as you mentioned, can't do it by himself or herself. It takes all of us to do this together. In fact, I was just reading an article today saying in India, Gandhi is being dismissed more regularly now. In fact, I won't even go into the fact that they have, there's a whole movement that honors the person that assassinated him. These are regressive movements, and this is the rise of autocracy that is being talked about. And while people are so afraid that we are possibly losing our democracy, because democracy is a modern developmental institution. And if we, the people, don't end up protecting the developmental progress that we have made in history, what we will tend to do is just regress back down the spectrum to lower levels of consciousness and thinking. And that ultimately will be very destructive if those kind of forces are allowed to arise. But you can see that's exactly what is happening. That was so well said and so yeah. important to say right yeah. now. I really, really deeply appreciate that. Yeah, yeah that's what we, we need to, as integral thinkers to be very active politically in reaching out. And, you know, that's one of the beauties about integral thinking. Integral thinking is really about encouraging people to become their better selves, you know, to become the better half, our better angels, as Lincoln said. And that's really what it's about. 
it's not about alienating or even overly critiquing anybody. It's about encouraging everybody to develop and to become the greater part of themselves. And that means being inclusive and also being able to make value judgments. You know, that's one of the great things that Steve McIntosh and Jeff Salzman, who deal with developmental politics based upon Ken's theories, have given us is a way to recognize that the the so-called far right and the fundamentalists, they have some valid points. You don't want to lose tradition. You don't want to lose family structures. You got to be careful about, you know, what you want to get rid of. But at the same time, they are offering us a limited worldview that excludes the truths of other people that don't think like them. And one of the things about a democracy is a democracy, by separating church and state, wants to be tolerant to all worldviews, that you use your own consciousness, conscience, to choose what religion you want to believe, and that all religions or all points of view, including the atheist point of view, right, has a right to exist in a free society. So integral in a way is a way of helping to secure the rights of liberty and justice that democracy has established in the last 200 years. I echo what John said beautifully, beautifully said, Brad. You know, we've covered so much here and we've covered almost the entire arc of Ken Wilber's combined works. There are just two books, most recent books we haven't mentioned, and I think to for completion, so we can so we can point to this dialogue as having covered whole spectrum, to use a, a <laughs> coin a phrase, of <laughs> Ken's Ken's work. We should should just briefly at least mention two his two latest books, which were the both of which came out in 2017. One was The Religion of Tomorrow, a massive 800 page home and the other was a briefer about a hundred page what was it post-truth world or so brad could you just would you say something about maybe take your pick of which one you want to go first yeah well the religion of tomorrow which a lot of times ken uses the acronym to his books like sex ecology spirituality calls sefs and brief history is bh and so we noticed that with the religion of tomorrow you want to call it trot not rot. <laughs> right? And the religion of tomorrow, because it's 800 pages, is actually one of the, it's a recapitulation of that developmental scheme that he started outlining way back in, an, in the Atman project, right? So when you re read the religion of tomorrow, you're getting the full developmental view that Ken has articulated over the last 40 years of his career. And so it is actually quite a marvelous book. And the post-truth book that you were referring to was a response to Trump getting elected and the fact that we are living in a post-truth world when, in other words, we're living in a post-modern world where since all truths have been de deconstructed by post-modernism or the relativity of all cultural perspectives, then almost any truth can be true, which is attributes to the rise of conspiracy theories. So in other words, you get on the internet and get down in that rabbit hole where you're only getting facts that are going to support that particular point of view, everything can end up being a conspiracy. 
and you know fake news right that trump made so popular we have no way of having a value judgment because the news that we're getting is being fed to us by the corporate media structures of the world and so ken was saying that part at least that's how i interpreted it is that ken was saying that in a post-truth world it's going to make you rely on an integral approach to actually be able to discern what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. And you have to develop your consciousness. You have to grow up. You have to wake up. You have to clean up. And then you have to show up in the world with a higher level of understanding and development in order to counter these regressive tendencies that is happening in the world at large. And so, in other words, he gives us a little developmental map that helps get us out of this quagmire of not knowing how to make proper value judgments and ethical judgments. And so he has certain, you know, things like, how does it go, Roger? I haven't reviewed it. The greatest depth for, no, the deepest depth for the greatest span. In other words, the more people that have more depth to their consciousness is what we want to really shoot for. So our educational systems and our therapeutic systems, as well as offering techniques for further transpersonal development is the best way that we're gonna be able to establish equitable society in which justice and compassion become the guidelines for our future. And this will also mean that we have to take care of those fundamental levels, the most fundamental levels, as well as the higher transpersonal levels. In other words, the biosphere has to be protected in order for the newest sphere and the theosphere to thrive and develop. So if we don't take care of our planet and the environment in which we're all living, the mind and the soul will not be able to continue its evolutionary journey. And so that is part of what Ken is addressing in this climate warming that we're going through. And so those are important themes. He also has another book out recently, but a lot of times these books are PDF treatments that you can find on Integral Life called Integral Revolutionary Transformation, in which he talks about the necessity for the society to evolve. You have to have a certain security in your technological, economic, developmental base in order for higher superstructures or worldviews to emerge. So in other words, every generation has the same responsibilities to take care of each other and to offer the developmental conveyor belt, another Ken Will term, to allow the proper higher development of human consciousness. But if you don't handle those lower levels appropriately, you're going to have pathological higher developments and the full spectrum of humanity will not be able to blossom. Whew. Again, wow. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I just want to go amen, brother, and start, you know, pounding on the table. Beautifully, be passionately said. 
Yeah, thank you. But it's because I'm standing on the platform of integral philosophy that allows me to call out these various modes of understanding. And that's what we're all, we all have this capacity if we learn how to be integral. In fact, that's one of the things that I try to emphasize in my talks is about the importance of being integral, not just thinking integral, but being integral, which means you have to take up the integral life practices. You have to become a healthy ego as well as learning how to appropriately transcend the ego in spiritual ecstasies. So, you know, this is one of the great things that a podcast like you guys uh, have deep transformation. That's what it's about. We have to not only, we have to transform ourselves. And the way we do that is by handling (laughs) all the earlier stages as well as the higher stages. Right. So thank you for the work that you guys are doing. I really thank you, Brad. You've given us a, an encyclopedic overview of, you know, the work of one of the great geniuses of our time. And I think we would all agree that Ken Wilber really is is one of the you know, the great minds of our time and has presented us with an intellectual synthesis uh, that is unparalleled and that provides a framework for the integration and implementation of the world's knowledge. It doesn't deal with all the details, but it does provide a framework by which we can can see relationships and understand aspects of ourselves and human development and society and culture in ways we never could before. And that we can integrate, as you said, science and religion. We can see how these can fit together beneficially for the welfare and awakening of all. We see the potential of so many things that seem conflictual, but we can now recognize our partial pointers to a larger whole. And that's a beautiful, beautiful gift he's given us. And Brad, you've given us a beautiful gift in in providing an overview of this because it's a it's a major challenge to to really go through Ken's works. And you for from your years of of study and exploration and practice have become an instrument who can transmit, literally transmit Ken's wisdom and vision and Thank you so much for doing that for us and your books. I'm just the way that you, especially right toward the end here, how you summarized basically everything we've been talking about. You brought it all together and I found it extremely informative as well as very moving. So it's it's an honor to be here with you and Roger and listen to you to talk about Ken's work and your experience and the historical context that this arose in. Just an inspired performance. Thank you very much. Thank you. Indeed. Many thanks to Ken. You know, he's still still with us and all our love goes to what Ken has given the world. And it's our responsibility to effectively spread the word, per se, right? <laughs> well, you've done a great job and you've done a great job of that in your books. I want to recommend again the two overviews of Ken's work that you've given us, Embracing Reality, The Integral Vision of Ken Wilber, and Where's Wilbur At? Subtitle, Ken Wilber's Integral Vision in the New Millennium. And of course, you have other books. And let me mention those two books are available in Kindle format on Amazon.com. 
All right. And you also have your major magnum opus, God's Great Tradition of Global Wisdom, with various excerpts and books that have been based on that. So thank you so much. So Brad, on behalf of everyone listening, thank you so much. You've really given us all a incredible gift. It's been a lot of fun. Hope we get to do it again. And thank you for the excellent questions. I really appreciate it, John and Roger. It's been a pleasure being with you. Thank you very much for being a part of this conversation. We hope that you were moved as we are moved being part of it ourselves. We'd also like to say that this is being funded by Roger and myself. It comes out of our pockets. So if you would like to help us to mainly to get this podcast out to more people, because the bigger audience have, which is steadily growing, but the more people we can reach and the more marketing we can do, the more positive effect we can have on the world. So we've done a couple of ways, but we'd like you to buy us a cup of coffee. Very simple. And I do that with podcasts that I support and I find it's very satisfying. So thank you for your help. Thank you for your presence and thank you for all you are and all you do. We love you.